Can we have a conversation? That's what we've got here, right? Then the Lord answered Job. That's how our reading began. I've been wrestling with this piece of Hebrew scriptures because I think it wrestles with very fundamental questions that we all ask. Why me? <laughs> um, and I'm not even dealing with the whole first chapter that had, and I encourage you to read it if you like, that has this whole weird bet between God and Satan. But I'm dealing with um, Job's suffering and what he asks of God. So then the Lord answered Job. Chapter 38 of the book of Job. We are obviously coming in on the middle of a conversation. And as we read on to catch the flavor of how the Lord answered, what, we may ask, has made God so testy, irritable, sarcastic even? What on earth did Job say? We have to work in reverse to figure out how we got here. What do we know about Job? Back in chapter 31, we find Job saying, Does not calamity befall the unrighteous and disaster the workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and number all my steps? Let me be weighed in a just balance and let God know my integrity. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Those first two verses kind of tell the story. Does not calamity befall the unrighteous and disaster the workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and number all my steps? In other words, Job is experiencing more than his share of calamity and disaster, and he is left asking, why? As he does not consider himself unrighteous, and he has been led to believe that calamity and disaster are reserved for those who are unrighteous, he is understandably troubled. And his expectation is not without foundation. Remember, the book of Proverbs in the Hebrew Scriptures says things like, the righteous are delivered from trouble and the wicked get into it instead. Chapter 11, verse 8. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but whoever pursues evil will die. Verse 19. Be assured, the wicked will not go unpunished, but those who are righteous will escape. Verse 21, the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Chapter 12, verse 7. And that's just a handful of a random handful of proverbial highlights that assure the hearer that the righteous will prosper and the wicked will suffer. And I might add, this is not an expectation exclusive to theists. Many of us carry around the general worldview that if we do right, if we live right, good things will happen. But you can imagine how all those proverbs sound to Job, who has had all of his abundant livestock and thus his livelihood stolen by thieves, whose servants have been brutally murdered, whose sons and daughters all died together when the house they were in was struck by a great wind and crushed them to death and whose very body was suddenly covered with loathsome, oozing sores for which he could find no relief. 
happy holidays. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is just. So that's Job's condition. And he's saying, why? Then the Lord answered Job. Or did he? I remember being confused by this response when I read it as a child, troubled by it as a youth, and frankly angered by it when I wrestled with it in seminary. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare to me, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Basically, you, Job, don't get to question me. You know nothing. Where were you when I created all this? Which struck me as less of an actual answer and more of a boastful, blustering way of avoiding the question. And unfair to say the least. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Well, Lord, you can hardly blame me for not being there when the only way I am anywhere is through your creative action and you had not created me yet. And God does not ask that question just once, but proceeds to ask it in something of a lambasting litany, as you heard in the reading, which also holds some achingly beautiful poetry. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? And then here it comes. Here is that sarcastic tone I mentioned. Surely you know, for you were born then and the number of your days is great. And God doesn't stop there. God continues with the creation story of sorts. But if we have established that Job has a unique theology apart from Proverbs, we can also see that Job holds a very different creation story from Genesis. In Genesis, humans are either the pinnacle of creation made in God's image and given dominion over every living thing and or intimately engaged in the creative process, the first man giving names to God's creatures, and even giving the name woman to the female of the species. Whereas in Job, well, listen to this excerpt from the call to worship again. Who has cut a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no one lives, on the desert which is empty of human life? And then some passages you heard in the reading. Who has let the wild ass go free? It scorns the tumult of the city. It does not hear the shouts of the driver. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will it spend the night at your crib? Which is a line I just love. <laughs> the ostrich's wings flap wildly, though its pinions lack plumage. When it spreads its plumes aloft, it laughs at the horse and its rider? Is it by your wisdom that the hawk soars and spreads its wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes its nest on high and on and on and on and on? 
Now, it seems to me that if God simply wanted to put Job in his place in this story and shut him up, he could have done so more, much more efficiently with a few well-chosen words or threats booming from heaven. But when one verse follows another and another to create this very interesting creation story, I have to wonder if God is actually responding to Job's call for justice. I have to wonder if this is an actual answer. Unlike Genesis and the whole dominion thing, this creation story centers on precisely those parts of creation that are well beyond the control of humans and sometimes even beyond our awareness. The wild ass scorns the tumult of the city and does not hear the shouts of the driver. It is not willing to serve humans and will not spend the night in your crib. The ostrich, though it may look goofy to us with its wings flapping wildly, spreads its plumage with no need for human approval and laughs at the horse and its rider. The hawk soars and spreads its wings without need of our wisdom, and the eagle makes its nest in the highest of high places without the need of a human command. Rain comes to a land where no one lives. Without regard to human need or desire, we do not provide prey for the lion or the raven, nor do we provide medical assistance to the mountain goat giving birth. After a while, the focus of this creation story becomes clear. Job, people, humans, listen up. This is not all about you. God says, in effect, this, my creation, is so much bigger than you can even imagine and so much more wondrous than you will ever fully know, and I did all this with no help from you. This is what I have created. And why would God offer this as an answer to Job's questions? Why would God offer this as a response to Job's cry for justice in this story? Unless... Unless God is saying, this is what I created. You want justice? Go for it. You want fairness? Be my guest. You want the arc of the moral universe to bend that direction? Bend away. You want to create a just, compassionate, equitable society, recognizing that life is not always fair? Please, create. I have created all of this, and you are fortunate enough to be part of this creation, but what you ask for is a human concern, a valid human concern for justice, and you will need to make that happen. And these two creation stories could hardly be more relevant than they are right now. They have come together in a very tangible way with what we call climate justice, with the climate strike that happened and the work for climate justice that continues, one might even call it creation justice. We are faced with what we humans have wrought in terms of that wider creation that the book of Job describes. We are faced with crisis and opportunity, and we have to ask ourselves, what can we do? What will we do? 
And then after God's long response covering four chapters, Job gets another turn to speak and says, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, there's another translation that I like better of that passage from Stephen Mitchell, which doesn't talk about despising oneself and repenting, but says, rather, therefore, I will be quiet, comforted that I am dust. Job may be saying, I thought I knew how the whole universe worked, that it was a matter of doing this so I could get that. And now I see it's bigger and wider and much, much wilder and scarier than I could ever imagine or understand and that I am a small, small, small part of it and that is oddly comforting. In other words, and again, this is my imperfect interpretation, in other words, you have showed me something so awesome that it has brought me an utterly new perspective. And though I cannot create all the things that you have described, just as you say, I can maybe work toward creating that something for which I have been crying, justice. And in the final section, when Job and his wife have had seven more sons and three daughters, it is recorded that Job gave his daughters an inheritance along with their brothers. Gave his daughters an inheritance. Now, I am no scholar, but from everything I have read, um, giving daughters an inheritance would have been unheard of in that time and place. It's an interesting detail. Might it be that Job was working on creating that justice thing he had been talking to God about, doing his part to make it happen? So keeping the wild wonders of creation before us, be it created divinely or spontaneously, aware that it is not all about us, may we join together to create the justice which we seek, to articulate and defend the rights of those most vulnerable, to comfort and support those who suffer, to do all we can to honor the wonder of that which is. May we be bold in pursuing compassionate, equitable, and just societies that rest upon a profoundly humble gratitude for the fact that though we are not in control, we are able to participate with all living things in this awesome thing called life. Voice still and small, deep inside all, I hear you call, singing. In storm and rain, sorrow and pain, still we remain, singing. Calming my fears, quenching my tears, through all the years, singing. So may it be.